Well, this is our 21st study on faith based on the teachings of Hebrews 11. And the writer of Hebrews, you will remember, has listed about 10 different people from the Old Testament who were living illustrations of faith. And he mentions six more people, but doesn't mention, doesn't expand on the story of their lives. He just mentions their names, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And so we spent a number of weeks expanding on their life stories, kind of finishing our thoughts on David last week, and we plan to look at two events from the life of Samuel, uh, one this week and one next week, Lord willing, and then we will move through the rest of the chapter in Hebrews 11. As I've been telling you for several weeks, I'm going to keep hammering away at this definition of faith so, so that it becomes just so indelibly impressed in our minds that we can't forget it. Remember Hebrews 11.6 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. And the three words that we're using to kind of give us a, a, a hook to hang all of this on, to understand this definition, is confidence, conviction, and confirmation. Faith is not some mystical feeling of hope or hopefulness. Now, faith is confidence in God, resting in the promises of God, trusting God for things that we can't see, and accepting what God says even when we can't understand it all. Biblical faith is not based on how hard we try to believe or on how emotional we get when we pray. Biblical faith is always rooted in the character and the promises of God. As we've quoted over and over and over again, 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. So our, our faith is not rooted in some feeling or some set of traditions. Our faith is rooted in the character and the promises of God. Then faith is conviction, to do what God says to do. We believe what God says is true, so we are committed to obey the Lord. Our conviction directs our behavior. We do what we do because of what we believe. We all do what we do because of what we believe. But as followers of Jesus, we certainly do what we do because of what we believe. We believe what God says, and then we have the conviction to obey it. And then faith brings confirmation. So if you're walking by faith, you'll know that God approves because he's going to make it known to you, first through the scripture and eventually through your circumstances. So confidence in God, the conviction to obey his word, and the confirmation that gives us assurance, that's what biblical faith is. It's not abstract or mystical, it's concrete, it's solid assurance, because its foundation is the word of God. So we are at the end of our list of six men from Hebrews 11.32, the Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And as I said just a moment ago, we're going to spend this week and next week looking at Samuel's life. And uh, so if you want to look at 1 Samuel and chapter 1, that's where we'll be today. Samuel was the last of the ruling judges. Uh, Gideon, Barak, and Samson that we've looked at were also judges, but Samson was was the last of the ruling judges, and he also became a nationally known prophet, which we'll see in just a moment. But he was a great man of faith. He had a tremendous heart for God. But Samuel's life story cannot be told without reference to his mother. Hannah, who was a, she was a godly woman with a heart fully devoted to the Lord. And if you've got your place there in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to kind of do just a brief 
overview survey of a few of the early events of Samuel's life, and then we'll get into our basic uh, text for for this morning. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, we'll read just a couple of verses here in just a moment. Some of you are familiar, familiar with the story of Hannah, but Hannah had a husband who loved her deeply. But her husband also had a second wife, which was permitted in the Old Testament, never condoned, but it was permitted. And if you look through the Old Testament, you would see that every single discussion of families with multiple wives had, had negative overtones. Imagine that. But for you wives, I would, would I can imagine there'd be lots of difficulties, even in a, even in a time when it was culturally acceptable. Uh, but the this second wife, in this case of Anna, the second wife had children, and Hannah did not. And the rival wife harassed her about that constantly. The scripture says in this passage, making her life miserable. And one year when Hannah's husband and family were at the tabernacle to observe one of the required feasts of the Lord, three of those a year, she sat at the door of the tabernacle and she wept and she prayed. And this is what she said, and you want to look at verse 10, 1 Samuel 1 and verse 10. She said, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So Hannah makes a vow to God that if God will give her a son, she'll give him to the Lord for his entire life. And that she will dedicate him as a Nazarite. You will remember, of course, that Samson was also a Nazarite from birth and for his entire life. That's what, that's what Samuel was also going to be. And if you read through the rest of the chapter, you see that God answered her prayer. And he gave her a son whom she named Samuel, meaning heard by God. So Hannah raises Samuel until he has stopped breastfeeding, uh, probably sometime in his third year of life. Then she brings him to the tabernacle to fulfill her vow that he would belong to the Lord his entire life. Look at verse 24 of chapter 1 still. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young, probably around in his third year, we would guess. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord or given to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. And then I want you to look at what Hannah says in this beautiful prayer in chapter 2. Just the first two verses give you an idea of the kind of woman that she was. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none like you, nor is there any rock like our God. I love that word picture there. We see it various places in the book of Isaiah and other places in the Psalms. There is no one like you, Lord. There is, there is not any rock like 
our God. So Hannah prays this beautiful, poetic, psalm-like prayer after she's given Samuel to the Lord. Uh, then, then here is little Samuel. If you look down at chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, Then Elkanah, which was Samuel's dad, went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So here you have little Samuel, probably maybe four years old, serving the elderly high priest Levi, or Eli, excuse me, in the tabernacle at Shiloh. Shiloh being the place where the tabernacle was set up for many years. It was not in Jerusalem till, till, or near there till, till later. Shiloh was down the road a ways. So he's serving Eli, the high priest, at the tabernacle, just as a little tiny fellow. But we did not read the portions of the text that identify Eli's sons as wicked men. But they were. They were serving as priests before the Lord. They were stealing portions of the sacrifices that were not designated by the law of Moses for a priest to take. They were threatening people who resisted their wickedness. They were committing fornication with the women who came to the tabernacle. And God had already pronounced judgment on Eli because he had not punished his sons for their wickedness. And we'll see this again in just a moment. But I want you to picture little Samuel. We would think of him as an elementary age schoolboy now, living at the tabernacle near the high priest of Israel, serving the high priest, wearing the clothing of a priest. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. That's, a, that's a, like a long vest that the priests would wear. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up to her with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. And in verse 26, it says the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with both the Lord and men. So here's little Samuel serving the high priest, wearing the clothing of a priest, doing everything that he's told to do. He sees his mother and his father maybe three times a year when they come to Shiloh for the feasts of the Lord. And yet all of this wickedness, all of this ungodliness by Eli's sons is going on all around him throughout his childhood. Here, is, here are Eli's wicked, ungodly sons doing all of these terrible things and violating the law of the Lord. And, and Samuel's right there in the middle of all that, serving Eli, the high priest, doing everything Eli tells him to do. I just want to emphasize that because Samuel grew up in a spiritually dark time. He was not in this pristine little environment sitting there at the tabernacle where everything was beautiful and nice and holy every day. You had Eli's two sons who were doing just the most ungodly, wicked things in his presence. And all that time Samuel was growing up there and helping Eli. And then if you look at chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, there was no widespread revelation. You didn't have prophets preaching the word of the Lord, teaching the law of Moses, calling people to repent, holding up the testimony of God among the people. The word of the Lord was rare, it says. But God was about to call Samuel to be a prophet. 
And I want to read with you the whole third chapter, uh, from chapter 3, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 1. And then I want to share with you from that chapter four principles of walking by faith. Four principles of walking by faith. But follow along as we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Verse 7, a key verse which we'll refer to in just a moment. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Then Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. That's a very important parenting principle, which we won't emphasize today, but uh, great food for thought. He knows the iniquity of his sons. They've made themselves vile. He did not restrain them. God says, I'm going to judge your house forever. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, probably one of the tasks he did every day. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba. Dan was a town in the north end of Israel. Beersheba, a town in the south end of Israel. So from, from, from north to south or through the whole country, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established or confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. He was now probably 13, 14 years old. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. 
Four principles of walking by faith. Beautiful story there of one of the most, one of the more well-known stories in all of the Bible. But our first principle is this. Knowing about God and knowing God are not the same. Eli's sons were priests serving in the tabernacle, yet the scriptures clearly says that they did not know the Lord. And chapter 2 and verse 12 says his sons did not know the Lord. And Samuel now, as a boy, raised in his early years by a godly mother, serving the high priest in the tabernacle, and yet chapter 3 and verse 7 says he did not yet know the Lord. See, knowing about God and knowing God are not the same. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Reading your Bible doesn't automatically make you a Christian. Learning facts about God or memorizing Bible verses doesn't automatically bring you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Samuel had godly parents. He worked for the high priest. He lived in the tabernacle. But he did not yet know the Lord, the scripture says. And I thought, what a, what a picture of many professing Christians today. They grew up in some sort of church they had parents or grandparents who took to the church. They did religious things. Maybe they still do religious things. They have some knowledge of the Bible, but they do not know the Lord. They know about the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. Samuel had not yet met the Lord in a personal way, but he was about to. And you know what? When you don't know the Lord, you don't recognize that he's speaking to you. That was part of the, the issue with Samuel. God came to speak to him. He did not recognize the voice of the Lord because when you don't know the Lord, you don't recognize that he's speaking to you. You probably remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John in chapter 10 when some of the Jews had come to him and they were criticizing him about, about what he was teaching. And Jesus looked at them and he, and he said to them, You do not believe because you are not my sheep. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, if we truly know the Lord, we recognize His voice, we do what He says, because knowing, knowing about God and knowing God are not the same thing. The difference is revealed by the way we respond. When you're walking by faith, you don't just know about God, you know God. You have a personal relationship with Him. You know, on September 10th of 2001, an American Airlines passenger boarding a plane noticed that a flight attendant was breaking up ice with a bottle, and he expressed concern that she might hurt herself. They struck up a conversation, and that passenger gave her a gospel tract, gave her a little piece of literature about Jesus Christ and forgiveness and eternity in heaven after we leave this life. The flight attendant looked at it, and then she said to the passenger, she said, you know, this is the sixth time that someone has given me literature like this in the last few weeks. What, what do you think God wants from me? The passenger looked at her and said, God wants your life. Then he explained the gospel to her, explained her personal need to make sure that she was right with God. And you know, less than 24 hours later, on September 11th of 2001, the same flight attendant was on the first plane that crashed into the World Trade Center. No one knows what she did with her opportunity. So I ask you, and whoever may be listening to me in some digital format at some future day, do you know about God or do you actually know God? 
Because knowing about God and knowing God are not the same thing. We see that very clearly in this story of Samuel. Then the second principle is this. Walking by faith requires submission and courage. When Samuel realized that God was calling to him, his first words were, Speak for your servant hears. Tell me what you want me to do, Lord. I am listening. And you know, that is true submission. Samuel did not say, Lay out your word for me, Lord, and then I'll decide if I want to do it. Because any time the Bible speaks about hearing, it indicates that we are listening so we can respond. And all of you are well aware, you, uh, you who are mothers have, I'm sure, sure done this. And all of, we, all of us who, who grew up in our homes probably had our mothers say this to us. When we were getting scolded about something, you know the famous line, Do you hear me? Now your mother knew that you heard her voice. That wasn't the issue, that you heard her voice. She means, do you get what I'm telling you and you're about to do it? Okay, do you hear me? And interestingly, when the Bible talks about hearing, that's what it means. It doesn't mean just hearing the voice. It means it means listening so we can respond. That's what it's all over the scripture like that. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. The light shines on him from heaven, knocks him off his horse. Paul says, Who are you, Lord? Which I always have to chuckle about. He knew exactly who it was. Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Another interesting, just give you a 20 second rabbit trail. You know, Jesus is in heaven when he says that to Paul. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But when the ungodly persecute the people of God, Jesus says they're persecuting him too. There's a, there's a direct connection, a direct identification between the Lord Jesus Christ and the people who are following him. And when the world persecutes the people who are following Jesus, Jesus says, you're persecuting me. And so Jesus speaks to Paul from heaven, and he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And Paul says, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's exactly the same thought with Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant hears you. Your servant is listening. Lord, what do you want me to do? Because biblical hearing does not mean that we are listening to decide. It means that we are listening to respond. And interestingly, God's first prophetic word to Samuel was a word of judgment on Eli. It was an interesting test. Would Samuel, probably a a young teenager, would he speak this word of judgment on his adoptive grandfather, the high priest of Israel, this man who basically is raising him, this man he's been serving and helping in the tabernacle for probably close to ten years now, And now the high priest of Israel, God comes to Samuel and he says, this is a word of judgment on this man who's been kind to you for the last 10 years and has raised you in the tabernacle. I think it was an interesting test. Is he going to tell him all that God said? Well, the scripture says, you remember that that we read, it said he was afraid, but he told him. He told him everything that God said. He had the submission to bow his heart before the Lord and tell God he was listening. 
And he had the courage to speak everything that God had told him. Because courage is not the absence of fear. It is obeying the Lord anyway. It is doing right regardless of how I feel. Walking by faith requires submission and courage. Then the third principle I see in this passage, walking by faith means we are seeking a relationship with God, not just looking for a voice or a sign. The scripture says Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. The Lord confirmed that he was with Samuel because he let none of his words fall to the ground. None of the things that God said to him ever failed to come to pass, which is, of course, not true of many of the so-called prophets today. The Old Testament prophets, they had a 100% success rate. If they said, thus says the Lord, this is going to happen, it happened. In fact, God said, if it doesn't happen, stone them to death. They're false prophets. And so Samuel, as he would speak, as the Lord would speak to him, it says that God let none of his words fall to the ground. And you know, Samuel was not looking for visions or voices in the night. He was seeking a relationship through the words of the Lord. So many folks, I've met many of them and so have you, they are looking for a sign, they're looking for a voice, they're looking for a vision, but the word of the Lord is right here in front of us, yet many folks never really look at the word of the Lord. And it says the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. You might say, well, yeah, but God spoke directly to Samuel. Yes, he did. But you know, the focus was not on a mystical experience. The focus was on what God said. You read through the Old Testament prophets, they don't appear before the kings and they say, You know, O king, I was sleeping in my bed last night and the strangest thing happened. I had to saw this cloud coming. I mean, that's not the way they talk. They said, O king, this is the word of the Lord. This is what God told me to say. It doesn't describe all the feelings and the experience. It just says what God said. And that's the way it's always been. The focus is not on a mystical experience. The focus is on what God said. It's always been that way because God reveals himself through his words. There was a pastor from a couple of generations ago, A.W. Tozer. He wrote a book back in 1948 called The Pursuit of God. Still in print today. It's uh, over 70 years later. It's uh, become somewhat of a devotional classic. And in chapter 5, Tozer uh, lists or cites a, a wide variety of Christian leaders. And then he asks, what vital quality ties them all together? What did they all have in common? And he said, I, I venture to suggest that the one vital quality which they had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open to heaven. Something which urged them Godward. They had spiritual awareness. And they went on to cultivate that until it became the biggest thing in their life. They differed from the average person, Tozer says, in that they sensed some inward longing for God and they did something about it. They they acquired the, the, the lifelong habit of spiritual response. Receptivity, that, that having an affinity toward, a bent toward, a sympathetic response to, a desire to have. As King David wrote in Psalm 27, speaking to the Lord, he said, Lord, when, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, 
I will seek. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God gives us this promise, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29.13 Because walking by faith means that we are seeking a deeper relationship with the Lord. We are receptive. Our hearts are open and responsive to His Word. You know, that's the way every relationship grows. We respond to each other with our words. That's what Adam and Eve did with God in the Garden of Eden. They walked and talked together. That's, that's fellowship. That's relationship. And that's walking by faith, seeking a deeper relationship with the Lord. And then our fourth principle from this chapter is this. When God moves, it's always through His Word in His people. Notice the contrast between verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare, and then verse 21, the Lord appeared in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The presence of God returned to the tabernacle because Samuel was responsive to the word. We can have emotional highs and exciting events without the Spirit of God, but the true working of God always comes through His Word operating in His people. We respond to God's Word in obedience and holiness, and God makes His presence known. The power of God and the presence of God always come through His Word operating in His people. The prophet Isaiah wrote, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. In Isaiah 55. I expect all of you here, in fact, I'm pretty sure all of you here truly know the Lord. But many of our friends, do they truly know the Lord or do they just know about Him? If you do truly know Him, are you seeking a deeper relationship with Him? The only way to deepen your relationship is to be receptive to the Word. Be a Samuel and God will do amazing things with you and through you. Let's pray. Lord, we get so wrapped up in all the events and affairs and issues of this life that we aren't always as receptive to your voice as we ought to be. We get... uh, so distracted in this digital world. There are screens everywhere and sounds everywhere and uh, between all of the tablets and cell phones and computers and TV screens and cables and cable TV and satellite and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This, this digital world is so incredibly distracting. But Father, I pray that you will help us to shut out all of these things of the world and spend time with you. May we focus on on you and your word and what you tell us to do. Lord, we pray for many of our loved ones who, who have a lot of information about God, but they don't really know God. They may have grown up with Christian parents. They may have had a grandmother who loved them and took them to church. They may have memorized some verses. They may have gone to all sorts of kids' programs through the course of their lives. And they they know all about God, but they don't really 
know you. I pray, Father, that we can point them to Christ and uh, express to them the truth of the gospel. And I pray that they will give their lives to Christ. Help us, Lord, to be submissive to your word and courageous as we speak it. And Lord, give us a receptive heart. Help us to be like Samuel, certainly, in that regard, where we say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.